Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. The book of Proverbs, chapter 1. If you're with a threes and fours class, thank you for worshiping with us. You're dismissed to your classes. If you need a copy of God's Word, you'd like a hard copy to look off of, uh, just slip up your hand. One of our church members is walking down the aisle now with extra copies. Proverbs chapter 1 is where we will begin this morning, reading in verse 20. I've been trying to preach this text for three weeks. Um, two weeks ago, we had a death in the family and had to go to uh, Georgia for a funeral. Last week, I woke up at 3 in the morning with a stomach flu, and uh, Drew rose to the occasion and uh, preached with just a couple hours' notice and did a fantastic job. So thankful the baby came this Saturday night and not last Saturday night, um, but super thankful just for his ministry of the word. Last week I was watching online and just uh, blessed beyond measure, but now we get to return after a little hiatus. We get to return to Proverbs and our study of Proverbs. We're working through uh, the whole book. Uh, the first nine chapters will kind of work verse by verse, uh, section by section, and then after that we'll look at themes uh, that are repeated over and over, but today we will finish chapter 1. So, Lord willing, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. <clears throat> At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I've called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. 
Let's, let's pray one more time together. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the message of your word. Speak now through me into our hearts. May these, these words be words that we hear. May they be words that we receive. May they be words that we obey. We pray, Father, speak by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're new with us this morning and you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the book of Proverbs is unique in the scriptures. It is a book of God's wisdom. It's a compilation of wisdom sayings to teach you how to live in God's world. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19, uh, the voice we heard in the text was the voice of a loving father urging his son to not be enticed by the foolish voices of the world that would allure him away from the way that leads to life. We saw that, that much of Proverbs is, is structured like this, that a father is speaking to a son, or a father and mother are speaking to the child, do this and don't do this. And we saw that this is very much in part of God's design, that the family unit is God's design for passing wisdom from one generation to the next. But then in verse 20, the voice changes. God's wisdom is now personified, not as a gentle father coaching his son to choose the wise path. Now we have a lady loudly crying out in the street, pleading with people in sort of a not-so-culturally, uh, politically correct way, crying out for people to hear what she's got to say. By way of reminder, the word wisdom in the book of Proverbs is this Hebrew word chokmah. Chokmah is this, it's this wisdom that exists in the very fabric of creation. It's, it's in the way God made the world to operate. To, to live a wise life, a, a life according to chokmah, is to live according to the intrinsic world order that God created. Wisdom is living God's way in God's world according to his design, according to his word. But here, chokmah is given a voice. It's, it's given a lady's voice to help us understand the wisdom of God that's available to us. Whereas in verses 8 through, eight through 19, this wisdom's lovingly being passed down from father to son. Now it is a desperate, loud, overwhelming scream. Verse 20, just look at it, look at it at the repetition. She, she, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. That, that phrase, raises her voice, it's an emotion-packed phrase used in other places in the Old Testament to describe the roar of a lion. It's a, it's a piercing, jarring sort of yell. Verse 21, at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks Verse 24, I've called you. I've stretched out my hand. One commentator writes this, that lady wisdom is no gentle persuader. She shouts and pleads and scolds and reasons and threatens and warns and even laughs. Pulpit bashing and hellfire preaching if there ever were. All quite very unladylike. And nowadays quite unfashionable, even frowned upon. But now, don't take this text and, and use it as, see, 
We can scream at one another. This is not, <laughs> let's, let's hold on to the application. Why would wisdom be personified as this sort of like desperate crying out? Why portray wisdom in this way? Why not portray wisdom's voice more like the still small voice, right? I mean, isn't, isn't that how we know wisdom? Aren't we supposed to listen to that faint inner prompting of the conscience or the tug of the heart that is ever so slight to lead us into the thing that is right? Of course, there's something to be said about being still in prayer and and being in the presence of the Lord. But if, if, you're, if you're living your life following every tug of the heart to see what direction is the right direction, you will be tugged in the wrong way because your heart is deceitful. See, the, the, the choice between the path of foolishness and the path of wisdom is not a matter of still small voices. This text seems to say this, and this is truth number one, God's wisdom calls clearly. The question of how to live a godly and wise life is not a cosmic Easter egg hunt. God has spoken. He is speaking. His wisdom is knowable. It's found in his word. It's made available by his spirit. As we will notice in the fool's response later in the passage, he chooses the foolish path not because he cannot hear wisdom's voice crying out. Rather, he hears wisdom's loud cry and simply chooses to ignore the voice. Now, let's just be honest in the room for a second. Most of your sinning, most of your foolishness, most of your complacency and spiritual laziness is not because you don't know the wiser path, right? Most of it is not because of total ignorance to the fact that there is a better way. It's not because no one told you. It's because you've rather chosen to ignore wisdom's call. Most of the sin I counsel people through didn't happen because they never heard that it was wrong or that it would have bad consequences. Most of the sin I counsel with is, is with people who knew absolutely that wisdom's cry was to choose something different, but they ignored that cry. The Apostle Paul says that this is true even when it comes to the very existence of God. As I've been studying this text in Proverbs, I kept thinking of Romans 1. It's almost as if Paul had Proverbs on his mind as he was penning Romans 1. Listen to, to Paul in Romans 1 verse 19. He says, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. For images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. God is not hidden. And his wisdom is not a hidden thing. Lady Wisdom in this text is beside herself. Calling out for anyone to listen. 
And it's not like a middle of the wilderness type of outburst. Notice Proverbs 1, where she's doing this. The text is clear about the context here. She's crying out in the street, at the head of noisy streets, at the entrance of city gates. Now, now why would Solomon portray wisdom as a loud, desperate presence in the busiest places of commerce and society? Truth number two. God's wisdom calls to every person in every situation. Now, this is so important. This is so important, church, that we recognize that there is no situation, there is no setting, no time of day, no group of relationships where you do not need the wisdom of God. There's no context in life where you should simply turn off your spiritual radar and leave God on the shelf. Listen to what one commentator writes about Lady Wisdom crying out. He says, this setting symbolizes that Solomon's Proverbs pertain to commerce, to the court, the administration that could not be mastered without wisdom, not to the temple, which was located on the hill, quite apart from daily life of the city, the, the, the point is, is that God is, is very much active and participating in every sphere of influence, every environment. You need the wisdom that only God provides at your job. You need it every single day as you navigate conversations with your spouse, with your children. You need it as you date and look for a future spouse. There's no part of your life where God's wisdom should be put on the shelf to be picked up at a later time in a particular day where you do your God stuff. Christian, there's no shadowy place where the light of God's kingdom does not touch. Right? Best Disney movie of all time, The Lion King. Right? Mufasa takes Simba up and he's like, Simba. You know, he looks at the whole kingdom and he says, yeah, but not the shadowy part over there. There's no shadowy part. When it comes to the kingdom of God, his light touches every square inch, his rule, his sovereignty, it's all his. His word speaks to it all. That means you have a choice. You can live a life that listens to the cry of Lady Wisdom, or you can shut her out, whether that be entirely or just in this particular area of life where you get to maintain sovereignty. That leads us to truth number three. The fool ignores wisdom's call. The fool ignores wisdom's call. So we're given a really clear picture throughout the whole book of Proverbs, but in this text, of the foolish disposition. I counted up uh, at least 11 descriptors or actions of the foolish person in this particular passage. And I just want you, I, I, I'm, and rather than reading the text over again, I'm just going to point out those descriptors. So just listen as I read how Solomon paints the picture of a fool for you. They love simplicity. They delight in scoffing. They hate knowledge. They refuse to listen. They do not heed. They ignore counsel. 
They refuse reproof. They refuse to fear the Lord rightly. They refuse counsel. They despise reproof. They live in complacency. Now, these descriptors compound to warn us of the particular kind of person that is a foolish person. The fool ignores wisdom's call, first off, because they love foolishness. Because there's a stronger desire for something other than God. C.S. Lewis likes to say the, uh, that, that you fall into sin not because your desires were too strong, but because uh, uh, your, your desires were not strong enough. You, your desires were puny. You desired that sinful thing which brought destruction into your life. And God says, no, I want you to desire something better. Namely, me. Fools remain foolish because their desires are not strong enough. They aren't wanting the right things. Their affections are not for the most ultimate thing that brings joy in life. They substitute that for other affections. And so Lady Wisdom cries out in verse 22, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in scoffing? Why do people remain in foolish states? They like it. They enjoy the immediate jolt of fleeting satisfaction that their foolishness brings. They refuse to believe in the long-term promises and blessings of God, and they delight in the short-term burst of dopamine that they can get in the here and now. Fools typically stay in their foolishness because they like it and because they hate being told that they're wrong. The most common denominator that holds all of the descriptions, the descriptions of fool in this book, the most common denominator is the denominator of pride. Fools remain foolish because they're too prideful to submit to someone else's wisdom. They don't want to be shown that they lack knowledge. They don't want to admit that they need counsel. They don't want to be the one who has to listen. They like to be the one doing the teaching. They only seek advice to confirm or affirm whatever they already want to do or believe. You ever, you ever had anybody like that in your life? They come to you for advice, not because they want your advice, but just so that you can say what you've already decided to do is awesome. That is the perspective of the fool. They don't try to grow in wisdom because that would imply that they need it. Therefore, they live in a kind of spinning the spiritual wheels, or as the author says, complacency. Living a life good in their own eyes, wise in their own eyes. Let me read it again. Do you see glimpses of yourself in these descriptors? Let me read it again. Do, do you see yourself in this? Love simplicity, delights in in scoffing, scoffing being just like letting your mouth kind of run, making yourself feel better by talking about someone else, hating knowledge, refusing to listen, does not heed, ignores counsel, refuses reproof, refuses to fear the Lord, refuses counsel, despises reproof, lives in complacency. 
the disposition of a fool, this ignoring wisdom's call, is not treated lightly in this text. Notice that in this text, no particular sin is really described in this, you know, to, to, to like up the ante on the severity. It, it, he doesn't mention murderers. He doesn't, he doesn't mention any sort of particular sin. The sin is the not listening <laughs> in this text. That's, that's the big thing in this text. And it's treated as eternally serious. Lady Wisdom cries out like an Old Testament prophet warning that the fool's way, the way of non-listening, that that leads to judgment. Truth number four, the fool's path leads to judgment. The fool's path leads to judgment. So just like the qualities of the fool are compounded as the text goes on from sentence to sentence, so do the consequences of it. The results of this type of disposition. Listen as I read them just kind of one by one. Wisdom laughs at the calamity that comes. Calamity comes like a whirlwind. Distress, anguish, wisdom no longer responds. Wisdom will no longer be available. The fool will eat the fruit of his own way. The fool will have his fill of his own devices. He will be killed and he will be destroyed. Now, there is certainly a cause and effect principle that is uniquely present in the Proverbs. To reject wisdom is to embrace consequences. And these consequences are very often immediate. Sometimes they take some time to show themselves. But it, it, it's, there, there's a cause and effect relationship in the book of Proverbs that just makes sense. If you don't work, you don't eat, right? Like, you'll be impoverished if you are lazy because you can't keep a job, right? There, there's these sort of like immediate consequences in the book of Proverbs, but sometimes the consequences to foolishness will not be clearly perceived until the day of the Lord, the last day of judgment. And I think that the author in this text has in view that final judgment more so than they do the immediate consequences. The path of folly most ultimately is a path that leads to full and final death. I mean, the descriptions here are intense. The, the description of a coming calamity that will come like a whirlwind. Throughout our lives, God's word calls to us. Wisdom cries aloud at every corner, urging us to heed her counsel. Listen, listen, listen to the word of God. And, and, and we either hear that voice and receive it, or we shut that voice out. We do not want God's voice ruining our plan. But there's coming a day, according to the scriptures, when calamity strikes, and at that moment, we will want the wisdom. We will desperately desire God to show us how to escape the calamity that is coming on me like a whirlwind. We will frantically cry out with the same intensity that wisdom once cried out to us. And there will be no answer Again, I, I think Paul must have been reading this as he's writing Romans 1 and thinking about the way that God's judgment works in Romans 1, 24. Listen to, to how the judgment kind of unfolds on these people, even in their lives here and now. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever, amen? For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. Do you hear the worst part about judgment is God giving you over to the things you think you want that ultimately destroy you? He, he gives you over to your own desires, which are contrary to his desire. And that's the scariest state imaginable for God to pull back wisdom's call that you are refusing to listen to and to leave you to operate in your own wisdom. It's the kind of place that Paul describes as the realm of Satan, the place outside the church, outside God's normal means of grace. But it's this kind of existence that is eternal for those who refuse Jesus all the way to the end. You realize that hell seems to be the kind of existence where God gives us over to our sinfulness to suffer its consequences and we will not hear any voice crying wisdom. The only voice we will hear is our own crying out for it and there will be no answer. Hell seems to be the kind of existence where verses 24 through 32 are finalized. Let me me read those again. Listen. Because I've called and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity, will mock when terror strikes. When terror strikes you like a storm, your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they'll call on me, but I will not answer They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, despised my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way, have their fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Again, C.S. Lewis wrote that hell is a place where God says, Have thine own way. If you did not want wisdom or its blessings, you don't have to have it for eternity. If you do not want relationship with God, then you will have none of it. If you're here this morning and you're not sure where you stand before a holy God, I hope that this concept causes you to tremble a little bit. It should be a frightening thing to look at the God who created the cosmos And to say, your design for me is not good for me. It should be a trembling thing to look at the God who gave us life. And then say, I'd like to spend this my own way. It should be a frightening thing to reject God's word and weigh your whole life. And then to die, to be given what you wanted, a godless existence, onward into a dark and painful eternity. The fool's path leads to judgment. That is the message of the Bible. 
but there is another path. All right, verses 2 through 32 articulate a wrong path in detail. Verses, verse 33 provides a short, sweet, simple alternative. Notice the word but setting up the contrast between verse 32 and 33. For the simple are killed by their turning away. Complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. It's interesting that the primary difference in this section between judgment and blessing, between foolishness and wisdom, is the simple word listen. Truth number five, the wise listens, repents, and is blessed. Listening. It's not as easy as it sounds. It's not natural for us. It's definitely not natural for me. You can ask my wife. Listening is hard. It's hard to to listen to an outside voice speaking wisdom, confronting what I think on the inside, but it is the pathway for blessing. Listening is more than hearing. It is hearing that takes to heart. It's hearing that leads to change. It is to answer and respond to wisdom's call. Earlier in verse 23, it portrays the kind of listening that someone uh, who hears wisdom's cry, what it's like. And it is to hear wisdom's voice and then stop what you're doing and turn to give wisdom's voice full attention. Look at verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, Behold, I will pour my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If you want spiritual awakening or spiritual revival to happen in your own life and in our church, it is not a complicated formula. We hear the word of God. We hear the wise counsel of brothers and sisters. And we don't just hear it. We full stop, listen, and turn toward it. We confess wrongdoings. We repent. That word turn in verse 23 is the word for repent. If you repent at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and make my words known to you. Now, this is important on so many levels, but this is important for the salvation of a soul, is it not? I mean, to become a Christian is to do this verse, to be humbled. It's to hear a message which reveals truth about God and where you stand with Him. It's to hear the message that you were born a fool. You've walked in foolishness apart from God's grace. You've sinned against a holy God. The consequences have been outlined for you even in this text. And there's a better way, a better way of hope and salvation and security in Jesus. Does Proverbs 1.23 not encapsulate what it means to become a Christian? To hear the message and to turn And believe that message. And then for God to pour out His Spirit and to make known to you things that you never could have imagined about what He's promised you. Is this not what we see happening in the book of Acts? The book of Acts is Proverbs 1, 23 happening. I mean, think about Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Peter stands up and he says, Let the house of Israel know for certain God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They heard Lady Wisdom's cry in the streets, and they stopped, 
and turned and said, what shall we do? And what's he say? Repent. (laughs) Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of the sin. And you'll receive the outpouring, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Bible talks about someone who was saved, verse 41, it says, those who received the word. Listen to what Peter later preaches in Acts 3. He says, what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Now, what's the message? Repent. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. What's what's next? That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Verse 36 of Acts 3, God raised up his servant. He sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Listen, the American brand of Christianity wants to sell you heaven with no repentance. And it's a lie. Stop affirming other people's salvations in your life and pretending that they're on a good path when there's no repentance in their life. You are simply cheering them on as they run to calamity. Stop. Repentance is the way that you turn to the way of salvation. Acts 4.4, when this happens and the, the message is heard and turned, look what happens though. The number of the men came to be about 5,000 who heard the word and believed, right? This is wisdom. This is the outpouring fulfilled, is it not? The wise listens, repents, and is blessed. And some of you in the room today may need to do that for the first time. I mean, somebody in the room may have never confessed their sin to God, asked forgiveness, never listened to the message and turned from sin. But this is not a one-time event in our lives. It's a process. There's a process that follows once we have placed faith in Jesus, a process of growing. Some of you need to do this for the first time in a long time, rather than going along pretending that you're wise. This is the disposition we all should be striving for on a daily basis. Spiritual growth is increasingly becoming the kind of person who readily turns and listens to wisdom's voice. It's the humble disposition of wanting to hear the truth, inviting wisdom to be spoken so that you might have the wisdom, the spirit of wisdom poured into you. Are you the kind of person that people around you would say listens? I mean, what would it look like to be the opposite of the fool described in this text? If I just re-engineered those phrases, you would love advice. Some of you were like, oh, right? You would, you, would, you would welcome advice. You would love knowledge. You would heed and accept counsel. You would invite others to reproof you. Oh, no, no, yeah, please. Am I missing something? Like, like what, what did I get wrong here? You would, you would invite the community around you to help you see weaknesses. You would fear the Lord rightly. You would reject complacency. Now, how interesting is it that the author of Proverbs lumps complacency in the description of a fool? Complacency, what even is that? How did that make its way in here? Complacency is that state of being 
where you don't think you need to grow or change, isn't it? It's the stuck place where you wrongly think that you've arrived. You know, now prayer, pr- prayer services for those other people, community groups are for those other people, discipleship relationships are for those other people, daily devotions, yeah, those, that's for those other people. Complacency is that comfortability with where you're at. Everybody else needs those things. I don't need those things. Complacency is that comfortability with having less of God in your life. It's a contentment with life that attempts no great thing for God. A complacent person is risk-averse. They refuse wisdom's paths because it's less comfortable. It requires more sacrifice on the front end. Lord, may we never become a complacent church. A stagnant church. I don't, I don't want to become a complacent pastor. A stagnant pastor that verbally goes through the motions of praising God, but in actuality lives as if God, there's nothing more to see of God, nothing more to learn of God, nothing more to accomplish for the mission of God in the world. God, protect me from complacency. God has spoken. He is crying in the streets. He is crying out at the gates. The listening person who wants to walk according to wisdom takes full advantage of the conduit of God's wisdom that he's provided. We, we, we seek counsel from his word, counsel from his people, counsel from seasoned saints, counsel from godly leaders. We don't make major life decisions in isolation so that other spirit-filled people won't be able to confront what it is we already want to do. Their desire for the path of wisdom has got to be greater than desire for independence, to prove ourselves capable and of life without someone else. People who want wisdom, we pray, not out of some sort of weird obligation, but because we recognize our need. Oh gosh, do wise people pray? pray real on their near on their knees prayers for the pouring of God's spirit in families and friends and neighbors and church community if you want wisdom then strive to be the kind of person who's always listening for the voice of God James 1:19 let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger and our listening in this life, even according to James that we've been studying it, that that's where we find blessing. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Proverbs 1.33 says this, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. Now how can we be confident in that promise of verse 33? How can we be confident that we will dwell secure, be at ease, and not be fearful of the disaster to come? Well, the promise of blessing in Proverbs only finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus, right? This is our final truth this morning. Jesus faced a fool's judgment to purchase our eternal blessing. How is it that we not come to Proverbs and just be crushed by all the ways that we've failed? (laughs) We look to where Proverbs is pointing us to, right? Our need, 
for someone wiser than us. The Proverbs teach us that foolishness, pride, sin leads to disaster, calamity, distress, and anguish. The gospel teaches us that Jesus came into the world perfectly wise, humble, and sinless, and he himself took on disaster, calamity, distress, and anguish. That Jesus himself, that the, the plan for your salvation is for Jesus to willingly take a fool's death and all of the wrath of God for all the times you've, never, you've not listened to wisdom's voice and to do so so that he might take the curse and you receive the blessing. He did this because he loves you. So if you just listen to that sermon and you feel like I just beat the mess out of you for the last 20 minutes, praise the Lord, you're ready now <laughs> to look to the source of your salvation because it's not you. It's not whether you followed this perfectly because you haven't. Christ took every, every ounce of the curse on himself at the cross for you. That's the good news of Jesus. That's why we sing, that's why we pray, that's why we praise. Christ is our wisdom, our forgiveness from folly, our, help in, our, our, our present help in time of need. He's the voice crying out at the street corner, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Salvation is for those who listen and turn to this Jesus, not for those who've been perfectly wise their whole lives or this past week. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you were to come to me today and say, how can I not go to hell, then I would say, listen to the word of Christ, turn to it, and believe. Full stop, period. Christ is the one who's been wise on your behalf. Recap, uh, God's wisdom calls clearly. Number one. Number two, God's wisdom calls to every person and every situation. Number three, the fool ignores wisdom's call. Number four, the fool's path leads to judgment. Number five, the wise listens, repents, and is blessed. Number six, Jesus faced a fool's judgment and purchased our blessings. Two quick takeaways, super easy. Already said it a hundred times, but let's help us. Take two takeaways. Number one, listen. Listen to the Lord right now. Just take the next few minutes and plead with God to show you your sin, your shortcomings, and a different path forward. But don't just listen right now. It leads to number two, repent. Repent and pray that God would help you be the kind of person who's known for your humility and your desire for counsel, your desire for guidance, your desire for wisdom's voice. God loves to answer these kinds of prayers. In fact, he's promised to answer them. Proverbs 123, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. Let's pray.
Lord, we just ask that you would pour out your spirit on us and make your words known to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.